0: I ask that you turn with me in the scriptures as we go forward in the book of Genesis. I ask that you turn to chapter 2, and we'll be reading 8 to 17. I know in your bulletin it says 10 to 17, but we're 8 to 17. And we're going to read the text. In just a bit and pray and talk about God's Word. When we go to build something, we use, usually use a manual, particularly if you're challenged. If you like other folks in this congregation, you can do these things, you can build these things with your eyes closed. But most of us who are challenged in that way need directions. We need to be able to read them, understand them, and apply them. This is what we do with God's word. We read God's word, we apply it to our hearts, and then we grow. And then we go through the cycle again. So I ask you now to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 8 to 17. Genesis chapter 2, 8 to 17. And this is God's word. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed... And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havala, where there is gold. And the gold on that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are in awe of your presence. We need your help this day, not only, Lord, to live day by day, but to live uprightly before you day by day. Father, we pray that you help us to understand your word, that we may obey your word, and grow in your word. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I would like you to take some time to remember that this is the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis should be read differently than other books of the Bible. Because it is the book of Genesis where we find first. The mention of first. And that becomes important because it gives you the pattern of how God is going to operate in the world after the first. Not going to be the same, but it's going to be very similar. And so the first mention of something is in this passage here. We will elaborate on it. But I want you to pay close attention to God's word. Because it's God's word that changes us from the inside We don't change from the outside in. That's a different kind of religion where you pray to the east and you wash your feet and you wash your hands and you do this and you do that and you don't eat this and you don't eat that. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with the God of the Bible. The children of Israel had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness after being miraculously delivered from Egypt. Now they were about to go into the promised land. They had been heavily influenced by the gods of Egypt. For instance, Shu was the Egyptian god of dry air. Tefnut was his twin sister, and she was the god of moisture and rain. Do you ever read some of these Greek myths And wonder to yourself, wow, what an imagination. Because if I wrote that in a book, I could make lots of money. Because it's so fascinating. But if we are looking at seeing Jesus in 10 minutes, we don't want fascinating. We want faithful. Amen? Who cares? You're dying. You don't care if he has three arms and two legs. Who cares if he can see from here and see from here because he has two eyes and there's one back? Who cares about that? That's silliness. You want to know if you're going to be with the Savior forever. That's what you want to know. So these things about shoe and Tefnut. Shu was a man with a feather on his head, and Tefnot was a woman with the head of a lioness. Moses used chapter 1 of Genesis to remind the ancient Hebrews and also us that God alone created the sea and the dry land. He is not some higher form of man, but both infinitely transcendent above his creation and uniquely within it. Eric Alexander, a minister of the Church of Scotland, said the creation account challenges man in his littleness to stop viewing God as though he were a person like ourselves. Do you often think of God as a person like yourself? Well, the scriptures need to change that in us. God is so big, he's so much bigger than our imagination. Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, 12 to 14, It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off his heavens with a span? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compares with him? No, we can't and dare not compare man or any other creature thing to the maker of heaven and earth. The creation account in Genesis chapter 1 makes it clear that God has no equals, no rivals. He doesn't have a twin sister. And so he doesn't pout and get angry because the human beings didn't bring all of their offerings. Chapter 1 of Genesis reveals things, these things to us so that we can remember our God who art in heaven and we can hallow His name. One of the dangers of believing God is just like we are is to reduce him to the status of compassionate friend or empathetic family member. But some of your problems are larger than any human friend can handle or any empathetic family member can bear. No one has a Father in heaven who created all that exists the seen and the unseen. He measured the waters in the hollow of his hand so the same hand is able to deliver you. Let's stop reducing God to some superman because some of your problems are too big and too complex for a mere superman. We need the Father of lights who gives us good gifts to show show up and deliver us from our miseries. If you are here today and you have fallen into that ditch, Cry out to God. God's hand is able to pull you out and give you hope. Am I the only one here who has ever failed? Am I the only one here who's ever said, yes, God, I'm going to do it this time and didn't do it again? Maybe I am, so I'm going to talk to myself. Self, God's hand is able to pull you out, amen, and give you hope. Now we spent about seven, five, six, five sermons about our glorious God in chapter one. In the beginning of chapter two, Moses introduced the Sabbath and the creation of man. But now comes the middle of this chapter two, and Moses introduces this tension I mentioned earlier. The Israelites may have corrected their thinking and have now come to embrace the majesty of God, but they're They need to be careful. They will think that God is so holy and transcendent that they can't come before him as humans, or they won't. He is just too busy or doing more important things in the world. So the tension is God is high and lifted up, and he is near to man. How can that be? Have you ever thought about that? How can God be so holy That you can't, that the angels can't even look at him, but yet he can come so close to us. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. And if you've ever been brokenhearted, you know how close God can come. If you've ever needed him and you've cried out to him, you know he's faithful to deliver you. He's faithful to Comfort you, those of us who have lost loved ones, those of us who are struggling with sins and we can't shake them off, and you've cried out to the Lord and He has come to where you were, you know the feeling. You know what it's like. This is the God that we worship. I'm only here this morning to remind you that He's not just some superhero got some superpowers. This is the God of the universe. He loves us. And he condescends to be with us. Amen? Amen. So some of you may say, this is too much. I have too much. He can't help me. Or he's so close to me that I'm too familiar. Well, we have to keep this tension that he's not our pal, he's not our buddy, he's not our chum, but he is our loving father. And for some of us, we don't know what that means. We, we have no concept of what that means. That means someone who's strong and yet gentle. Someone who's able to deliver you and to deliver me, but sometimes, for our good, he leaves us where we are. This is the God that we worship. In today's message, we will explore verses eight to 17 and discover that God placed man in the garden. We'll look at verse 10, eight to 10. God has placed man in the garden to work. Verse 15. And God commanded man not to eat of the tree, 16 verses 16 to 17. Eight and nine, the first thing we see, let's read eight and nine again. Eight and nine, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing we see is that God provided his very life for mankind. Man needed the breath of life to become a living soul. God did not ask man what he needed. He saw the need and provided for that need. God knew that mankind needed water. So a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Mankind needed vegetation to eat and sustain himself. The trees were planted there for food and oxygen. He knew men would need to eat from the tree of life, so he put that in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also part of God's purpose. But notice that God didn't put the trees to be good for food only, but pleasant to the sight. God made the trees beautiful for man's pleasure. If God did this for all mankind, how much more will he do for those who call upon him in help during distress. Have you thought about that recently? Have you thought about the fact that everything you see, God has blessed us with, he has given us, all of us, whether we bless him or whether we curse him, it doesn't matter. We can all jump in the water and go into the lake. We can all smell the trees. We can all feel the grass. Those of us who have allergies don't like that part, but we can all feel that. We can all experience that. Not just the ones he likes. Not just the one he has favor on. This is the common grace that we share. How often do we think that these blessings are for all people? Not just for Christians, for all people. God is gracious. God put the tree of life in the middle of the garden. And later in chapter 3, after man had sinned, God mercifully blocked access to the tree of life. Can you imagine what the earth would be like if there was no death? No death. People like Cain, Jezebel, Stalin, Hitler, they could be sitting right next to you. hi, how are you? I'm doing well. What's your name? Hitler. Hit, like Hitler, Hitler? Yeah, Hitler, Hitler. Are you here to kill us? Nope. No, I'm just here. I mean, most of you wouldn't even want to worship after that. <laughs> but God's grace, those people are gone. They're gone. But the tree of life remained inadmissible so they couldn't get it. We have a problem. Our sins need to be atoned for. But just as God provided for Adam everything he needed, God provides for us in our time of need. We need access to the tree of life, but we first need our sins forgiven. Because remember what God said in Genesis. We must close off this tree because they'll live forever. And it would be disastrous at that point. God has sent his only son, begotten son into the world to forgive us of our sins and give us his righteousness. You can receive Christ today if you call out to him. He will forgive you of your sins and welcome you into the kingdom. And what about the tree of life in the middle of the Garden of Eden? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Or if you're reading King James, except by me. And no one can eat from the tree of life except through Jesus Christ. You want eternal life. You want to live forever with God, then receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the only way. You say, well, preacher, someone else said a different way. There's a lot of voices. But again, we go back to the Scriptures. What does the Scriptures teach? The Scriptures teach that Jesus Christ is the way to the Father. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus said, To the one who conquers I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In Revelation 22, verse 14, Jesus also said, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. How much closer can God get to us since therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, and he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. There, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Hebrews 2:14 to 18. This is as close as you get. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in need right now? Only those who truly know Christ and only those whose Christ is pulling at their hearts right now knows that we're in need. People in the world don't think they're in need. But if you're sitting here and you say, you know what, preacher, I am in need. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's happening to you. Let me tell you what's probably happening to you. The Holy Spirit is probably tugging on your heart at this moment. He is drawing you closer. For we can't realize our need for a Savior without the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't conjure this up. I know it might look like we do. Pastor Bissett is here preaching weekly, 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 weekly. I'm here every once in a while, every once in a while. Another preacher comes every once in a while. You think, oh, look at them. They're they're doing a show. They're performing up there. No, no. We're just telling you about the God of the scriptures that can save your soul. And those of you who are old, like me, know you're getting closer to the grave. Your knees don't work like they used to. Your arms don't work like they used to. You're waking up with back pain. You're working up with knee pain and leg pain, eye pain. Some of you can have C. But it gets better with Jesus, right? We get a new body. Amen? Amen. Man, we shed this, I shouldn't say man in the pulpit, but you know, we shed this old thing and we get a new thing. I don't know how it's going to be. Don't ask me about the flowers and the flying around. I don't know. But I know it's going to be new, and I know it's going to be good. Amen? Amen. It's going to be really good. So draw near to God, for he will draw near to you. God is high and lifted up, and his robe fills the temple. Yet he is so near to us in the person of Jesus Christ verse 15 verse 15 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it that's verse 15 did you know that work is a gift of God not a punishment for sin oh I know most of you in this congregation I know you work hard you work harder than me So really, this message goes to me first, that work is a gift from God. It is not part of sin. Adam is here. He's still in his innocent state, and he's working. Work is a gift from God. We see Adam working before he falls into sin. This is a great book for family devotion based on the Heidelberg Catechism by Star Mead entitled Comforting Hearts, Teaching Minds. In one of its daily devotions it reads, work is a gift from God. It is a good thing to have something to do that is worthwhile, that uses skills and abilities we have and that helps other people. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that recently? When you get up on a Monday morning and you go to work and you work for 8, 9, 10, 12 hours, do you realize that you're making money not just to pay your bills but possibly to help someone else? And that help might turn their eyes from you and the help to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you helping me? We have the ability, those of you who got one more year, two more or three more years of work before you retire, please think about those three last three years. You're going to make a tremendous, you can make a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. And you think, well, I retired. What does that have to do with me? Well, you have so much time, You don't work eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day. You don't do that. You got time to invest in other people. Well, I can't walk. You got a telephone. You can call and encourage someone. Amen? Amen. You can do it. I can do it. You can do it. You say, well, my throat hurts. So you can text them. doesn't even matter. There's no excuse at this point. If you're working, you're working unto the Lord. If you're retired, you're retired unto the Lord. Yes, I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to me. I got a couple more years left. I got to go strong. I have to go strong. Pray. You, 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 pray for me that I finish the race strong. And I'll pray for you that you finish the race strong. We got younger people here who don't even have a job. Can you imagine blessing them? Blessing them. He said, Why do you give me money for? Why you do this? Why you buy this for me for? Because the Lord loves you, He loves me. Hmm. You don't think that, that the person will think about that? They will think about that. I know. We gotta get back to the text. We're supposed to be preaching, not doing what I'm doing. Let's just let's, let's go back to the text. Christians are to earn money to provide for our own needs and then help provide for the needs of others who are in want. It is not only our responsibility to provide for ourselves, but we must provide for the needs of others as well. Listen, I want to camp right here because Christians, we need to be the most giving people on this planet. When people die, when people look at, their, look at their life and they think to themselves, well, what am I thinking about? You should think, wow, my neighbor used to be so kind to me. Why is this neighbor so kind to me? Why is this person buying me things? Does this person want something? Does this person have a material motive? No. The, 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 the gifts of God makes room, and, and it just opens up. And the people say, why are you doing this? And you have a perfect opportunity to share about the love of Christ. So you say, I like my money. I don't want to give my money away. You might have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if you just gave $10 or something to somebody, help, help somebody. Why are you giving me this for? You, you needed a coffee. You don't have money. Yeah, but why, why, why? What do you want from me? I don't. I want you to look at Jesus. What? You say, oh, I can't witness, I can't, you can do that, you can do that, you can take it out your pocket. Here, I'll pay for you, I'll pay for you, here. Why are you doing that? Because I want you to know the Savior, the goodness of the Lord. Ah, that's, I don't want to hear what you have to say, but too late, they already heard it. Amen? When they go to sleep, they're going to hear it again. I get this out of my head. They drink, they drink, they drink, they drink, they drink. I know what this is. They, drink, they, drink, they do everything. They get it out their head. They wake up the next morning with a headache, and they still hear your voice. <laughs> Praise God. Right? You can do this. Come on. You can do this. You, you can. You can. It doesn't take a preacher to do that. You can do this. You know the Savior. You can do this. I'm begging you. You can do it. We all may not be like the super evangelists like I don't want to name people in this congregation but we know them they're super evangelists they go everywhere they tell everybody about Jesus but maybe if you told one person just one in your lifetime they would experience the grace of God wow and then you can be say, you can say to yourself I was a part of that I was a part of that Do you provide for yourself and the needs of the saints? That's a question. That's a true question. I'm retired. Don't give me that. Don't buy two coffees. Only buy one. Or if you buy two coffees, give it to the person behind you. Don't tell me. Don't. That's, that's excuses. We can't, we can't go with those anymore. This is what we are called to do. Please think of someone this week that you can use your resources to help another brother and sister in need. And you say, well, are we just supposed to provide for non-believers, unbelievers? No, you provide for believers. You know what happens when you give me or you give another believer something? They go, praise God. And their heart grows for the Lord like this. You was a part of that. That's a blessing. What is your attitude towards work? Do you think we work for a means to the end? Do you think... About the day of retirement, some goal or trophy to achieve? Yeah, most of you who know me, yes, that's what I think about most of the time. Is this the right attitude? No, it is not. What am I doing? I'm talking to myself. That's ridiculous. No, it is not the right attitude. And if you have that attitude, it's not the right attitude. We have a short window to tell someone about Jesus Christ. What are we doing about it? Brian Spidey, what are you doing about it? I can't speak for you. You might be doing something about it. But me, what am I doing about it? Is this the right attitude when it comes to work? I don't believe this pleases the Lord, and we must repent and think of work as a privilege, not a punishment. We have the ability to glorify God in our work, and we must rise to that occasion. You say, but I'm retired. But you clean your yard. You can rake for the glory of God. you say, you're too young to work. Ah, don't give me that. That's an excuse. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want to purposely look at the young people. I wish it was a lot of you all could look at you all. But no, but just because you're young... You can still glorify the Lord. You can work in your house. You can clean up your house to the glory of God. You can clean your room. You can help around the house. This is pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you have put your time in and you are at your retirement stage and I told you already you're not off the hook. No, any work that you do at this point is working as unto the Lord. Let's pray that our attitude toward work is God honoring. And God place man in the garden, not only to work, but to keep it. So if you thought work and keeping it is a synonymous thing, why why would Moses put both of those words? Not only was Adam supposed to work the garden, but he was supposed to keep it. The great thing about the book of Genesis is that we often come across words for the first time. It is called the law of first mention. This is where Something appears the first time, and we have something in Genesis 2.15 that appeared the first time. It hadn't appeared any time, Genesis 1 or 2. At 15, it appeared the first time. Do you know what it is? Keeping it. This is the first time it's mentioned. This is the first time the word appears in scripture. When we come to a word in Genesis, it is the first mention of the word. It will give us a great perspective on how the word is used throughout the rest of scripture. Since Adam wasn't the only person commissioned to keep watch over the instructions of our creator. Abraham and his seed is also instructed to keep watch over. Abraham and his children keep watch over the way. He is, he was, he will be, for I have known. Turn to Genesis 17, 9, if you can. Genesis 17, 9. How do you know if I'm telling the truth if you're not reading it in scripture? 17 and 9 says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Here's this word. Here's the word again. Abraham and Sarah were given the same promise of a seed that was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 17, 17. That's only one page over for me. 17, 17. 17. It says, uh, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? That must be in Hebrew. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Israel might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring, after him. The very specific promise was to Abraham, who would have a son at 100 years old by his barren 90 year old wife, Sarah. Although he fathered other sons, his son Isaac was born miraculously. Abraham was given the promise because he obeyed the voice of the Lord and he kept watch over God's word. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept watch over, Genesis 26 says, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. Like Adam and Abraham, Moses was also given the instructions of Yahweh to obey his voice and keep watch over his covenant. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep watch over my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, Exodus 19 and 5. So we find as we go through the scriptures, this keeping of God's word is important. When we keep watch over our spiritual father's commandments, we will not be deceived by any lawlessness teaching. We must watch over God's word, we must be keepers of God's word. We are all tested, and we are tested by God's word. One of the definitions of the word of this work is to have charge of. We have to be a picture of what it means to guard and keep something. Adam had to be diligent and watchful about this garden. Adam eventually failed. He was not faithful as a watchman and guard. This only points to the reality that only one keeps. Psalm 121, we read earlier, says, he will not let your foot be moved He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel would neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. A look at Adam helps us to see this reality in clear view. Adam could not keep himself from sin. We cannot keep ourselves from sin. Only one can keep us from sin. Psalm 121 goes on to say the Lord will keep your life. He will keep your life. How long are you going are you willing to believe that it is by your own power that you can keep yourself from sin? If you are here today and you don't know Christ, know that the Lord can keep you from sin and death. We must turn our lives over to him. He can keep us. He is the only one who can keep us. He can keep our souls. Lastly, verse 16 and 17 of chapter 2 we have and the lord god commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die those of us who know the scriptures know knows what happened we know what happened we know that eve took of the tree and gave it to adam and they died and if you're just being introduced to the Bible and you're reading and you say, "Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, they didn't die, they kept talking to each other. Well, they, they died spiritually. The life that they had from God was cut off. And at that point, they were moving toward the grave. Before that, they were moving closer to the Lord. And this is what happened. God commanded them not to eat from the tree. And they were deceived And they ate, and death reigned. And death reigned from one man all the way to Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ became the second Adam. Amen? And he lived a perfect life. And he obeyed perfectly. And he fulfilled the law with his life. And we, too, can have eternal life if we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. If you are here today and you don't know him, what does that mean? Sometimes preachers talk and they don't understand, people don't understand what they're saying. So I haven't been a preacher for very long, so I can talk to you. I can just talk to you like we're talking in a cafeteria, <clears throat> like we're talking on the street. Listen, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And if we do nothing, we are destined. Our destination is hell. Okay? That means a place that's away from God that will suffer forever and ever. You say, you believe that? Yes, I do. Why? Because the Bible teaches that. But there's a way to escape that death. Yeah, I know. Do good things. No. I know. Don't lie about people. No. That's not it. Because if you don't lie about people, you steal something. So you'll break something. And once you break the commandment, it's not like you can go pay and say, hey, I broke the commandment. Here's $400,000. I'm back. No. Once you break it, it's broke. can't be fixed anymore. It's done. But there's a way for an escape. There's a way to be saved. There's a way to be born again. All of those words mean the same thing. There's a way for deliverance. And all we must do is acknowledge the fact that we would never have our sins forgiven unless someone like God forgives them. Does this make sense? Is this making any sense to you? I think sometimes preachers preach to themselves or they preach to other preachers, but they don't preach to the people. And the people are going, what is he talking about? I don't know, but it so sound good. Sound good, you're going to hell. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You want to hear something good? Listen to the Beatles. Or something else. The good news of Jesus Christ is for you to be saved. You receive him as your savior. You say, Lord Jesus, I cannot do it on my own. I need you to cover my sin. And once you cover my sin, I can be forgiven and I can live In freedom for the rest of eternity. Not for the rest of my life, for the rest of eternity. That's the good news. That's why I'm here. That's why the preacher preaches every week. We say the same thing over and over and over, hoping that you hear. Praying that that baby in the womb will come out and hear. You say, you're crazy. That's okay. I'll be crazy about Jesus. You can be crazy about other things, crazy about cars and crazy about motorcycles. You're going to hell. Sorry. I know it's not politically wrecked to say something like that. But that's what the reality is. Without Jesus Christ, we are hell-bound. That sounds probably better than you going to hell. We are hell-bound. That's our destination. You have questions. You say, I'm going to come when I get all my questions answered. You will never come. You're not going to get all of your questions answered. But you'll get the main one answered Where will I spend eternity? That's the question you want answered. You don't want to, who cares where the other people came from? There was Adam, there was Eve, there was Cain, There, all these people. where they come from? I got to know before. No, you don't have to know. You don't have to know that. But you got to know that your sins are forgiven. You got to know that there's an answer to your sin problem, that there's an answer to my sin problem. You have to know this. One of my favorite preachers and someone I look up to dearly, excuse me, looked up to dearly. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He says, he often says, and I never understood, I'm not finished, but I will stop. I'm not finished, but I will stop. God loves you, and he has a beautiful plan for your life. And you can receive him today. Just reach out and say something, something simple like, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I am done with this life. I am done trying. I can never do this ever again. I can't. I need you to help me. And he's faithful. He's faithful. He has saved my soul. I sing, he shall hold me fast now with such conviction. Don't you want to sing with such conviction? They receive Christ today as your Savior. Let's pray. <laughs> Blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message. Lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying your life to insult, injury, death, that I might be redeemed, that we might be redeemed, ransomed and freed. Blessed be you, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to you, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to you, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity. Impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, and felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give you every darling lust. To submit heart and life to its command, to have it in my will, controlling my affections, molding my understanding, to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take me to the cross to seek glory from his infamy. Strip me of every pretense of righteousness by my own doings. O oh, gracious Redeemer, I have neglected you too long. We have neglected you too long. Often crucified you, crucified you afresh with my impotence and penitence. Put you to open shame. I thank you for the patience that has borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be yours. Oh, unite me to yourself with inseparable bonds that nothing may ever draw me back from thee, my Lord, my Savior. We love you, Lord. Sometimes words don't convey it enough. But we use what we have. We use our words. We use our words to say thank you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we are thankful. And if there's someone here, Lord, who is on the brink, Of receiving you as Savior. Please Lord. Please draw them by your spirit. We will be forever grateful. In Jesus name. Amen.